0: So we worked our way through the first few verses of Ephesians, and if you remember, the book of Ephesians is written, and it can be divided almost into two sections. The first half focusing on the Gospel, the basic Gospel message, the importance of understanding the Gospel, and then the second half can be focused on the importance of living in light of the Gospel, or living out the truth of the Gospel in our daily lives. So with that in mind, let's look at our text this morning. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter one, we're actually going to start at verse, I'm going to start reading at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven, and things on earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. To the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading the hearing and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to jump right in and tell you the first point of your sermon outline. The first point of the sermon outline is, number one, our promise. Number one, our promise. Now hopefully, if you've been listening the last couple of weeks, you're going to say, wait a minute, that sounds Familiar? Well, it should sound familiar, because if you remember from our first week, we talked about how we, as followers of Christ, are called to live a life of promise, purpose, and peace. Then last week, we saw that in Christ, God, through the power of the gospel, has made us citizens, ambassadors, and sons. And I pray that you saw and continue to see how these first two messages connect, And ultimately, how you will see how they connect with this week's message. What we we saw so far, what we have seen so far, is that we need to not live a life of uncertainty. That though times are seemingly uncertain in our lives, we don't need to live that way, but instead we can live a life of promise, knowing that we have been made citizens. That God has given us grace, and we have both this present hope and this future hope that He's going to continue to give us grace grace, that He's made us citizens of heaven. We need not live a life of aimlessness, but we can live a life of purpose, knowing that He has made us ambassadors, that we are to represent Christ. And we need not live a life of fear, but we can live a life of peace, knowing that He has made us sons and daughters. So we have this idea that we are called to live a life of promise because He's made us citizens. We're called to live a life of purpose as we serve him as ambassadors, and we can live a life of peace knowing that he loves us and called us to be sons and daughters. I also want you to see the connection between these messages because, as I mentioned last week, verses 3 through 14 form one long sentence in Greek. And I try, even just reading that, even with in English where there's where there's uh, periods and there's com- lots of commas, and even reading that is hard to read in one um, in, in one fell swoop, as I did that ultimately Paul wrote verses three through fourteen in one long sentence, something you can do in Greek that you can't really do in English. so it should come as no surprise that with one long sentences that these three messages would fit together quite. Nicely. So getting back to the first point in our sermon outline. Number one, our promise. Look at verse 7 with me. Paul writes this. He says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. You see, Paul is reminding his readers of the glorious freedom that they've been given in Christ. The Greek word that is translated redemption here carries the idea of paying a ransom in order to release a prisoner or to set a slave free. In other words, it's buying someone out of slavery. That is precisely what Christ did for us on the cross. While we were slaves to sin, He paid our ransom, He paid the debt that we couldn't pay, and He set us free. That, folks, is the heart of the Gospel message. That's why Paul says in the book of Romans, he says, Romans 3, he says, "...by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. For through the law only comes the knowledge of sin, not the freedom from sin, but instead we're enslaved as we see that we are sinners." He says, "...but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested." So through the law comes this knowledge of sin, but apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested." even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ who believe. That we're made righteous by believing in Christ. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we are justified as a gift by His grace. How? Through the redemption, the buying back from slavery, which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed as a propitiation. The means by which God's wrath was appeased. That's what that means. That He appeased God's wrath, and He reconciled us to Himself in His blood through faith. That ultimately, Christ bought us back from slavery and set us free. So He goes on and He says, in Romans 6, He says, "...so thanks be to God, that though you were slaves of sin, You've been freed from sin, and now you're slaves to righteousness because the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, that's the gospel message that we were enslaved in sin, and that Christ bought us out of slavery. His blood paid the price that we couldn't pay, that He died on the cross, taking the punishment that we rightly deserved. And that he freed us. Scripture consistently presents this idea that we were slaves to sin. But that Christ paid our ransom. Jesus himself said in Matthew 20, he said, The Son of Man did not come to to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And having been bought by his blood, this is the point, having been bought by his blood, we are now part of his kingdom. That he bought us as a slave owner would come and buy a slave. He bought us and made us part of His kingdom. We're now citizens of heaven. That's why Titus 2.14 says, He gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. He bought us with a price. You know, I had a friend one time who... Um, he said, he said something to the effect of, um, where's the recycling center? And I didn't, I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I've got all these bottles and stuff that I need to take to the recycling center. And I said, I said, why don't you just throw them in the dumpster? This was at the church, he was an intern. I said, why don't you just throw them in the dumpster? Well, why, why do you need to recycle them? And he said, well, I want to recycle them. And he eventually, as we talked, he said, well, I get money back when I recycle them. And I said, oh, the Redemption Center. And he said, oh, I've seen those places, but I didn't know that's where you actually took bottles and cans. I had no idea what those places were. I thought there was some weird religious place, like that you went there to get redemption. And I said, no, no, that's where we redeem our bottles and cans for five cents. But that word... Cares carries the idea of buying back. That's what they do at a redemption center. right? They buy back your bottles and cans. They give you money. And in the same way, Christ redeemed us. He bought us. He set us free from slavery. And we're now His. We're citizens of heaven. We are part of His kingdom. He redeemed us, a people, for His own possession, is what Titus says. Same idea is taught in Colossians 1 where he says, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. You see that redemption also carries this idea that the result of him redeeming us is transference into a new kingdom, into a new sphere of rule over our lives. He ransomed us. He made us citizens of heaven. And therefore, we don't live for all that this world affords, but instead, we live our lives with our minds set on eternity, on the eternal rewards of heaven. The same word we'll see in a little bit, Paul uses again in Ephesians 1.14, where he says, He's talking about the Holy Spirit and he says, the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. In other words, what he's saying is, God has redeemed us and He's given us this Holy Spirit with a a view to our final redemption. That He's going to redeem us once and for all, physically, in our bodies. So we have this already but not yet picture that is painted that we have been redeemed, Scripture says, and we await our final redemption. So we wait for the coming of the kingdom. This is what it means to be a citizen. That you are, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of heaven, but you wait for His kingdom to be fully realized and fully established here on earth. In the meantime, you're a citizen of a kingdom without walls. That kingdom will one day have borders. It will have a physical presence here on earth. But until then, it is still very much a kingdom. And there is a king, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we submit to his rule, we submit to his authority, because he bought us out of slavery, and we are now his. So having seen our promise, now let's consider the second point in our sermon outline, our purpose. Let's consider our purpose. Look back at verses 7 through 9 of our text. Verses 7 through 9. The NASB, by the way, reads like this The New American Standard says this In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. And then places a period there. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. Period. And then says, in all wisdom and insight He made known to us the riches, uh, He made known to us the mystery of His will. Whereas the ESV, the English Standard Version, reads like this. It says, and catch the difference, in Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. There's no period there. There's no That He doesn't stop when He says the grace which He lavished on us. That instead He continues and says in all wisdom and insight. So the question is this. Whose... Wisdom and insight is he talking about? Because there's two different ideas that seem to be portrayed here. Now remember, this is one sentence in Greek. So it's not that one is necessarily right grammatically or wrong grammatically, that instead we have to understand what was Paul's intent, how do we make take this one long Greek sentence and make it understandable in English? And I think by putting a period in the wrong spot, we miss the point. The question is, whose wisdom and insight is Paul talking about? Is Paul saying that God, in his wisdom and insight, lavished grace upon us? Which, by the way, is true and can be true. There's nothing theologically wrong with that. And he made known to us the mystery of his will. Is Paul saying that? Or is he saying that God lavished grace upon us by giving us wisdom and insight? So was it God's wisdom and insight that He gave us grace? Or did God in His grace give us wisdom and insight and make known to us the mystery of His will? You see, commentaries are divided. But I'm inclined to follow the verse breaks and not the way the period lies within the text. So here's what I'm, all of this is here's what I'm saying in this. That either can be true theologically. The question is, what did Paul mean? What was He driving at? And I think the verse breaks actually get this right. If we follow the verse breaks, this is the way it reads. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in giving us, as implied, in wisdom and insight. That He lavished His grace on us by giving us wisdom and insight through which He made known to us the mystery of His will. That God, in His grace, here's what Paul is saying in this, that God, in His grace, gave us wisdom and insight and made known to us what His will is. That He showed us His will by giving us wisdom and insight into that will. I believe that wholeheartedly. So what is the mystery of His will that God has made known to us? You say, Pastor, I don't know if, I've, if God's given me wisdom and insight into the mystery of His will. I don't even know what you're talking about by the mystery of His will. Well, we continue in our text and we see. We continue in our text. He says, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention that God... In His kindness, this is part of why I believe this is our wisdom and insight, God in His kindness gave us this wisdom and insight, which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration or a plan, that's what that word means, suitable to the fullness of times. With a view to a plan that was going to be orchestrated in the fullness of time. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things on heaven and things on earth. I know this is a wordy, long text, right? I don't want to miss the point. I want you to really understand what he's saying here. He's saying, God in His grace gave us wisdom and insight and made known to us His will. And that will, that, that what He made known to us, is a view of God's plan in the fullness of time to bring all things in Christ and to subjection to Christ. The NLT makes this verse abundantly clear. And the NLT says this, verses 9 and 10. It says, God has now revealed to us His mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill His good plan. That God has made known to us His will, which is to fulfill His good plan, and this is the plan. At the right time, He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and everything on earth. You see, what he's pointing to is Christ's future earthly Reign. That He reigns in a very real way today. That we sing, crown Him with many crowns, because He is crowned King. He is King. We sing, Jesus is Lord of all, because He is Lord of all. But not all submit to His Lordship today. Not all crown Him with many crowns. But there is coming a day when all will when every knee will bow to King Jesus. And what Paul is pointing to here is the coming of His kingdom, His earthly reign. So what Paul is saying in context is this. God has ransomed us. He's bought us out of slavery and He's done so with the blood of Christ. And He's forgiven our sins according to the riches of His grace which He poured out on us by giving us wisdom and insight into His future plan. Namely, that He's going to bring everything, both in heaven and on earth, under Christ's rule. God has given you grace and showing you that one day, everything will be under the rule of Christ. So when I speak about the Christian's purpose... When I talk about our purpose, getting back to our point in our outline, our purpose is to see ourselves as ambassadors, representatives for that kingdom that is very real today, but is coming still in a very physical way, in a real way in the future. We're called to be ambassadors. We represent that message that Christ is King and we represent that cause So submit to Him as King now, while it is indeed an option. You see, we sing, crown Him with many crowns, because we know that one day He will be crowned. We sing He is Lord because He is Lord of our lives, and we know that He will be Lord of all. And all will recognize Him as Lord one day. Maybe not willingly. So we say, submit to the Lord Jesus. We're ambassadors. We're representatives of that message and that reality. You see, as Christians, God has shown us grace. And He's promised us future grace. He's promised to carry us through to completion. That He will indeed finish the work that He started. He's made us citizens of heaven. But He hasn't taken us out of this world. That He's kept us in this world for a Purpose, As we said last week, He has sent us into the world to represent Him and to tell the world of His plan to bring all things into subjection under Him. In other words, we're called to go and make disciples. We talked about this in Sunday school. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that He commanded. We, we share the message of the gospel that Christ died for us, And we teach people to observe everything Christ commanded. Submit to His rule and authority in your lives is what we teach. That is the role of the church. Because Jesus started that section, the Great Commission, He started the Great Commission by saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, I am the King, I am Lord, All authority has been given to me. Therefore, teach them to obey that authority. See, the message of the Gospel is submit to the Lord Jesus Christ for His kingdom is coming. And ultimately, God has given us insight. He's given us wisdom to understand that that is indeed what is happening and to submit now under His authority. And He's called us to be ambassadors and call others to submit to that as well. So having seen our promise, number one, our promise that He has ransomed us, that He bought us and made us citizens of heaven so that we can live knowing that this earth is not our home, but there is a future home. We eagerly await the final redemption of our bodies. And having seen our purpose, that He's given us wisdom and insight into His plan and we're called to live as ambassadors, representatives, and call people to be part of His kingdom, to submit to His rightful rule. That is our purpose, that we're to live that way and call others to do the same. Now let's consider the third point in our sermon outline. The third point is number three, our peace. Our peace. Look at verse 11 with me. 11 through 14. I actually want to start start at the end of verse 10. So again, I think that in this case, I think the actual the, the way the sentence should read is the sentence should begin with in him, not necessarily following the, the uh, verse break, but instead following the actual uh, period that we see in the New American Standard. So I think the sentence begins with in him. So in other words, we should read it this way, or we should understand it this way. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. So in Christ also, we've obtained an inheritance... Having been predestined, remember that's God has destined us to to something. He has before time declared that this would be our destiny. Having predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. By the way, all things. I really believe what this scripture says. That He predestined, that this was our destiny, that it was according to His purpose, not our own. And that he works all things after the counsel of his will. And I have a hard time sometimes understanding that when, things, when life is tough and when difficult things happen. And I have a hard time understanding how our own human responsibility plays into all this because I know I'm responsible and I know I have a certain amount of freedom. But I also believe this verse. And, and Paul doesn't really defend what he says. He just says, this is the way it is. God predestined us according to his purpose and he works all things after the counsel of his will. And I'm the clay. So as the clay, I have the no I have no right to say to the potter, Well, why? I don't. Instead, I say, okay, this is what he's purposed, this is what he's going to happen. And he did so to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed, you were secured. That God predestined it to happen and He's going to make sure that it does indeed happen. That just as God chose you before the foundations of the earth to be in Christ, that He's going to carry it through to completion. He has sealed you in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That word means that you've been secured. That no one's going to snatch you out of the Father's hand. He sealed you in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge, a down payment, if you will, of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. In other words, he says this: God predestined that this would happen according to his purposes and His will, and you, after listening, you believed that there is human responsibility, but you were, and in that you were sealed, you were secured. That God has secured you in Him. And He's given you the Holy Spirit as a pledge, a down payment. One of the things that we do at the place where I work is we often, if somebody wants to order a camelback sofa, like like Bill would want to order a like a camelback sofa and some crazy fabric, right? Some 18th-century. Right. If somebody wants to order something that we know we can't sell, because there's only one person in the world, Bill Batty, who would order a sofa like this, we require a deposit, a down payment. In other words, we want to know that you're coming back and you're going to pay for this thing. And ultimately, that's what's really pictured here. I know all analogies break down. Don't stretch this too far. That's not the point. But the point is that the Holy Spirit is given as a down payment, as a, a seal, a sign, a pledge of our future inheritance. That ultimately, God will finish what He started. That yes, we're part of His kingdom, but He's coming back and He's going to establish His kingdom here on earth and we can trust in His promises because He gave a down payment. And He did so with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. In other words, the Holy Spirit points us to the fact, having the Holy Spirit in our lives, Points to the fact that God is going to come back and finish that final redemption, that He's called us to His own possession, and that He's going to redeem us fully and finally once and for all in the future. See, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're both citizens and ambassadors, but we've also been made sons and daughters. And as such, our inheritance is heaven. That's precisely what Paul is referring to in verses 3-5 through when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's made you a citizen. He's given you everything that heaven affords, every blessing that heaven affords just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us as adopt, to adoption as sons. But He chose you as a son through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. That our destiny was to be sons and daughters and that we would inherit every spiritual blessing of heaven. I have a hard time sometimes understanding When Scripture says, all things are yours in Christ, and when it points to the riches of what we inherit, that somehow we inherit heaven, that heaven is ours, and that we're co-heirs with Christ, I have a hard time in understanding the fullness of all that that means. But I know this, that it means that there's a future hope for us. That regardless of how difficult life gets, regardless of what happens in this life, this life will be over, and it'll be over shortly. And there's another life, another world in which we will inherit, that we will inherit, and that world is heaven. So we can live in a, with peace, this inner peace, the spirit of peace, spirit of rest. We can live that way because we know that heaven awaits us. And this, by the way, isn't wishful thinking. The danger in all of this is that we point to this as some wishful thinking. Well, I, I hope He's right. I hope heaven is real. and I, 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 I'm living in such a way that that's where my hope is. And I don't mean hope as in like this nebulous future idea that maybe it'll happen. Instead, Scripture speaks to our hope as grounded, rooted, true. You've been given a down payment. You've been given a pledge. Namely, the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit lives in you, that, the Holy Spirit, He lives within us. And he, he testifies to the reality that God is indeed working in our lives and that he, has, that he has a plan. And that plan is to reign and rule in righteousness. The Holy Spirit's given as a down payment with view to our final redemption, the redemption of our bodies, where we spend eternity with Him in heaven. So this isn't wishful thinking. Instead, we know We know that this is going to happen. And how do we know? Well, the Scripture says because He's given you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit testifies in your heart that this is real. the Holy Spirit tells you that this is real. And the fact that He's given you the Holy Spirit should signify that His promises are true. He's coming back. 1 Peter 1, verses 3-5 through says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope through the resurrection of Christ to obtain an inheritance, which by the way, Peter says, is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, and is reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time that ultimately God has protected this inheritance. It will come to pass. That if you are in Christ, this is what awaits you. So we can have peace. We can live in peace because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And we know that as many are the promises of God... 2 Corinthians says, As many are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. In other words, God has promised many, many things. And in Christ, they're yes. The answer to those promises is yes, they will come to pass. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, As many other promises of God, in Him they are yes. Therefore, also through Him is our Amen, our verily, our truly, to the glory of God through us. Now He who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us as God, who sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Again, the Holy Spirit is a pledge. A promise. Declaring that the promises of God are indeed true and will come to pass. So we can live in peace because we can trust His Word. So by way of review, we've seen, number one, our promise that He's ransomed us, that He's bought us from slavery, He's made us citizens. So we can live knowing that this earth is not our home. Instead, we eagerly await something better, the final redemption of our bodies. We've seen our purpose, that we're called to live for His glory here and now while on this earth. That He's given us wisdom and insight into His plan, His future plan, His plan to reign and rule in righteousness. And we're called to live as ambassadors, representatives, calling people to submit to His kingdom. To become united to Christ. To be forgiven for their sin. To be bought back out of slavery. And to submit to the one to whom all authority belongs both in heaven on earth and on earth. And then we've seen thirdly our peace that we can be sure that his promises are true, that we can live in light of eternity. In other words, we can sacrifice the pleasures of this world and live for the sake of the next because we've been promised an inheritance. I uh, I've had to remind myself the last couple of weeks at work that you can do anything for a short period of time, right? Sometimes work gets really difficult, and I I think I can do anything for a very... If it's a short period of time, I can endure anything, right? And I'm beginning to think, okay, this life is a short period of time. I can endure this. I can endure this. And while that's funny, it's also true that it is helpful to have that perspective. To say, I can endure this because this is a short period of time. And I have an inheritance for me laid up in heaven. That everything heaven affords is mine. That all the promises of God are yes in Christ. And I know that to be true. I know that that inheritance will be realized. How? Because I've been given the Holy Spirit as a pledge. I praise Him for that. We've seen our promise, our purpose, and our peace. So how do we, as Harmony Bible Church, both individually and corporately, specifically apply all of this to our lives? Well, I want to ask you to examine your life and see what you're investing your time and resources in. How exactly are we living? Because if we remember His promises and we rest in His peace, knowing that He will indeed accomplish those purposes, I believe that that will cause us to live a life of purpose. You see, I believe I can tell you, I could stand up here every week and give you a list of things you need to do. You need to share the gospel with your neighbor. You need to be a good mom. You need to be a good dad. You need to be a good sister or brother. You need to obey your parents. You need to uh, start a ministry and and reach the world for Christ. Whatever these things are, right? You need to honor God with your finances, these are all true. You need to honor God with your diet and something I've been convicted of again lately. That These things are true, but I believe that we will live a life of purpose as we remember His promises and we rest in His peace. That we remember His promises are true and that He's going to bring them about. That He will bring them to pass. That ultimately, I can endure anything for a short period of time. That I need to have more of an eternal Focus. And instead of living life with uncertainty, aimlessness, and fear, instead I can live with promise, purpose, and peace. I can live not as a citizen of this world, pursuing the things that this world offers, but instead as a citizen of heaven. That I can live as an ambassador for Christ And that I can rest in the fact that He has called me His Son. That if He did not withhold His own Son, how will He not freely give me all good things? And He gave me the Holy Spirit as a sign of that promise. Therefore, as Dan prayed earlier, we run with endurance the race that's set before us. We run. And we run, not because we think that somehow we're going to earn our salvation, but because... We know that His salvation will be realized. Our inheritance is real. Therefore, I can run. I'll tell you folks, I would never dare to get up here and preach the Gospel message if I didn't believe that the power comes from God. If I didn't believe that God's Word is true, that His promises are true, and that they will be realized, I would say you need to find somebody who's much more talented and convincing and gifted at speaking than me. You need to find somebody who went to the Edward R. Murrow School of Communication, who's a great communicator to present this compelling truth. You need to find a salesman. But instead, because I believe that God will fulfill His promises, I run. I can run with endurance. and I'm not always doing it well, folks. Oftentimes I'm looking behind me, I'm looking back, I'm getting I'm bouncing off the walls. Instead, I should get my eyes fixed on what lies ahead. That's what this message is all about. That's what this text is all about. That you've been given unfathomable riches in Christ. That comes from 27 or 26 through seven. He raised us up with Him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us. He raised us up so that He might show the unfathomable riches that are ours in Christ. And those riches are ours now. So run with endurance the race that's set before you. Fix your eyes on eternity and live a life of purpose. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank you for your grace. God, help us to live in light of the truth of the gospel. God, may we lay aside all the things that entangle us, that weigh us down, the things of this world. May instead we remember that you have called us to yourself, that you've called us to be a people for your own possession, that you have redeemed us, you've bought us with the blood of Christ. God, I praise you for that. God, I thank you that we have indeed been encouraged, that you indeed will orchestrate all things in accordance with your will. God, that you are working human history out so that all knees will one day bow, that all things are under the authority of your Son, Jesus Christ, that he will reign and rule in righteousness. God, I thank you for opening our eyes to the mystery of to that mystery and God I just I pray and ask that in light of the promise that you have indeed given us that you will indeed do that and that you've called us to live as citizens of your kingdom here and now with a view of your eternal purpose and plan God that you would help us to live that out day by day Help us to live in light of the purposes you have for us, namely to be ambassadors, to represent your kingdom while here on earth. God, we know the time is short. Help us to do so well. Give us more grace, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.